You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. Each week, a member of our staff shares a Devo, talking through a piece of our mission, vision, and culture. This is that Devo. Let's check it out. So Christian leaders, uh, there's an extensive list of qualities and characteristics. There's a, there really is a, a real breadth of um, what it is that makes up Christian leaders. There is, it's very difficult to have a, a one-size-fits-all or um, there's one type of Christian leaders. There are um, some Christian leaders that are highly effective and great at what they're able to do and very fruitful in the ministries that allowed and outgoing and extroverted. And um, at the same time, there are a lot of Christian leaders that are very fruitful in the ministries and do great work in Jesus' name that are very quiet and that are very happy behind the scenes. There are are some that are slow and methodical and there are others that are big risk takers. There are people who lead from the front and are very um, comfortable and confident to be on a stage with a spotlight and a microphone and then there are other people that um, they lead from the background, they lead from the back of the room and, and, and somehow all of it is needed within the kingdom. There isn't one type of Christian leader. We read in the New Testament that there's a a real wide breadth and a wide spectrum of spiritual gifts that are distributed by the Lord for His good plans and purposes. And God is able to somehow cause all of these differences and all of these different strengths and giftings to work together. Paul's illustration, I'm sure we all know it well, of um, the body being a picture of the church. It, It makes complete sense as we think about the community of believers that are all acting like different parts of the body, and it all works together in unison. All these different gifts and strengths, the different personality types, the different stages of maturity, it all functions as a healthy body. Now, in the midst of all the variety and the vast differences that we can see in Christian leaders, I would say that leaders that continue what Jesus has started, there are two consistent characteristics. There may well be more, but I want to just hit on these two today. Two characteristics that are consistent with uh, leaders that are continuing what Jesus started. The first is, they are sent. And secondly, they send. Christian leaders, no matter what different personality type they have, no matter what giftings they have, no matter what role they have, no matter whether they're prominent, whether they're at the front of the room, or whether they're quiet behind the scenes, no matter what it is in the middle of all the differences, Christian leaders that truly embrace that they are going to continue in their leadership what Jesus started, they are sent and they send. Jesus' example for this is is clear. We see that um, he sent disciples. Then uh, this is from Luke 9 2. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then jump down a few verses in Luke 9 48. Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Now there are many, many other examples of Jesus that we we see. He is both sending his followers, sending people, whether it's the Great Commission or the times that he's sending his disciples to go out on missionary initiatives, or whether it's the Holy Spirit sending the apostles in the book of Acts. There are many, many examples we can see in the New Testament of Jesus sending people. And yet he also is teaching people that he himself was sent by the Father. Now, the main passage that I want to spend time in today is a passage that um, I've come back to reading um, a number of times over the last few months. It really has been speaking to me, and uh, I believe there's something in here that we need to grab a hold of, and I think it's particularly for us today is going to be helpful. And it's in Romans 10, starting in verse 9, and we're going to read a few verses together. So Romans 10, 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. 
They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now this passage is of course a wonderful expression of the gospel it's you know if you're doing an altar call this is some come on some buddy stuff you know this is like youth camp kind of from the front to the back left to the right this is your moment kind of altar call stuff it's awesome but it goes on in verse 14 but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him and how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Now, the end result of uh, this kind of sequence of events, this kind of train of thought that Paul is inviting us to go with him on is the people are being saved. That's what we read. There's a few verses from, you know, verse 9 through, you know, kind of verse 13. It sort of is this great description of what it means to be saved, to call on the name of Jesus, to believe in our hearts and to being saved because Jesus is amazing and his grace is powerful. Like that's the end result. That's what we want. We want to see people having their lives transformed because of the grace of Jesus. But before that, what we hear from Paul is that they have to call on him. And before they call on him, they believe in him. And before they believe in him, they have to hear about him. And before they hear about him, someone has to go and tell them. And that starts with someone being sent. In this sequence that Paul lays out for us, the start of this sequence is that someone has been sent. Before someone is saved, before someone calls on his name, before someone believes, before they hear, before all of this, someone is sent and then they faithfully go. The Christian leader is constantly asking both, what am I being sent to do and how can I help someone be sent? The Assemblies of God and many other denominations have a, a strong sense of calling. Um, uh, those of us that are pastors here at the church will remember the, the process of going through being uh, credentialed as a minister. You're asked to talk about and share your story of when you felt this sense of calling. Now, we understand that there is this idea that, uh, you know, pastors have a sense of calling that they're going to forego a career and devote themselves to building the church full time. But I think that we would all be quick to recognize that each and every believer is called to something. Everyone is sent for something. Maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't a full time ministry position, but each and every follower of Jesus has been sent to do something. And the Christian leader is forever asking, how can I help send others? Even the word itself, to, to send, it sort of speaks to it. It paints this picture of forward movement. To send is, is about going. It, it, to be sent is this sense of purpose. And um, you may have been in this situation many, many times, kind of like I have. I think, don't think it's unusual at all. But if you're ever waiting for someone and you've got time to kill, and so you look to find something mildly interesting to do to kill a few minutes. So there have been times where I've been waiting for Megan while she's in an appointment or waiting for the kids to finish something and there's not enough time to kind of go home and come back. So you just kind of look for something to do and hopefully there's something interesting to pass the time. Um, in those moments when I really feel like I've struck gold is if there's a Barnes & Noble close by. So if there's a Barnes & Noble and out west they have a store called Hastings and then there's another one they had in New Jersey called Books A Million but it's the same kind of idea like that Barnes & Noble type thing. If I've got 20 minutes to kill, hanging out in a store like that to, you know, check out a few books and, you know, even see what Bibles they have and see if any of my favorite authors have got a new book come out and, you know, maybe check out whatever vinyl records they have. And if I'm really lucky, maybe there's a music magazine with a great feature on Bob Dylan. Come on, somebody. But if I've got time to kill and no intention of buying anything and no urgency to check something off my list and, you know, no specific thing on my mind, this is a fine way to do it, just to kill some time in Barnes & Noble. But that is the exact opposite of being sent. When you're sent, there's meaning and purpose. 
When you're sent, there's a, a destination or an objective in mind. When you're sent, it, you know, hanging out and just sort of killing time is not, what the, is not the call. It's having your head in the game. It's being prepared and ready. Just sort of spilling, you know, spinning wheels, you know, just sort of killing some time in Barnes and Noble. That is not being sent, and that is no way to live our Christian life. That is no way to be faithful and effective in our sense of calling as what Jesus has sent us to do. But the, the next step up from living with this sense of being sent is to ask, how do I send others? How do I help others be prepared and equipped and motivated to be sent? Now, despite all the differences of Christian leaders, the different giftings, the different personalities, and the, the different focuses and emphasis, the, the commonality is believing and trusting that I am sent and I am in the business of sending others. I tried to make a note of a few practical ways of how we can help send others. And this certainly is not an extensive list. I'm sure you could think of many others. But one of the first things that came to mind is that with others, in our efforts to try and send others is to openly share our mistakes. Where have we dropped the ball? Where have we got it wrong? Where have we tried something that was an absolute failure? Where did we think it would go one way, but it ended up another? Another way we can help people is to, in the aftermath of a flop, if somebody has tried something and it did not go to plan, the event came in over budget, we planned to have X number of people and we had wildly less than that. We thought that we had so many volunteers that we were going to be able to pull this off. It turns out we had nearly no volunteers. We had to do a lot of stuff, whatever it is. But in the aftermath of an event, there was an absolute flop, a complete disaster, being there to help someone pick the pieces back up again. And I think each and every one of us has been a part of an event that was an absolute disaster. Anyway, helping to encourage to send, uh, to send people, encourage people to try something. As we're looking for people to feel the sense of being sent and go and do what the Lord has called you to do, encourage people to try something. Another thing is to invest time and even money into getting people what they need. We try to do that as a church, is to come alongside people and find out what is it that you need that's going to help you get moving? What is it that you need that's going to help you fulfill this dream that God's got in your heart? Another thing is to value and applaud the preparation time. There have been a number of people in the church that have put their hand up and said, you know, hey, I believe a call to ministry. I believe there's a, a deeper um, set of responsibilities that I believe the Lord has. And oftentimes they'll get um, some advice from the pastoral staff is to go through the credentialing process with the Assemblies of God. Like start taking classes, start schooling your staff, start sharpening up. And the people that have done so, I believe it has helped them as they have indeed stretched and grown in their ministry. Another thing is to help with course corrections. As people are, are trying to live sent and they're feeling this sense of being on a mission, they're trying to live on mission with Jesus. One of the ways that we can come alongside and be a part of the sending is that if somebody is starting to drift off course is to lovingly come alongside and let's get back on course. Let's do some course correction. Hey, we, we're starting to go down this road, but circumstances have changed. Let's think about perhaps there's another way to go. Now, of course, there's many, many other things that we could put. But one of the things that I wanted to uh, make sure that I shared as part of this today is that we should always, always, always hope and pray and believe that the people we're leading and encouraging will achieve more than we ever will. To pray and believe that the people we're pouring into, mentoring, encouraging, to plead with God that they will see more people saved, baptized, disciples, and sent more and more greater fruit than we will ever get to experience in our own ministry. It's that hope that the next generation will explode what we've started. Now, Jesus was the role model in this. John 14, 2. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will continue what I have started. 
And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, in Bible college, the professor was very quick to take the time to explain to us that the greater things was not talking about better things, but rather it was greater in terms of numerical. It was more of these things. And so this idea that the people, you you need to keep this going and do even more than I have done. And then John 16, 7. But it is, in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And it will be better that the Holy Spirit is here to continue what is going on. Now, I'm very aware and very conscious that these verses open up a much much bigger theological conversation than the simple point that I'm trying to make. But Jesus is saying that after he ascends, his work will continue as the Holy Spirit empowers and leads his followers. Consequently, we will see much greater fruit and outcomes than was seen while Jesus ministered on earth and the past 2,000 years have confirmed what Jesus said was true. Every believer is sent and they send. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Lord, we love you. Lord, we really are amazed by your goodness and your love. And Lord, as, uh, as kingdom-minded leaders, as leaders who are committed to building your church, Lord, we remind ourselves that we are indeed sent. We are called. We are on the mission that you have put in front of us. And Lord, it is a responsibility and it is a joy to help other people be sent to go and do all the good works you have planned for them. So Lord, minister to us, help us, stretch us. Lord, we want to fulfill your plan. Lord, we want to see you do great things. And Lord, we commit with all the humility we can that we want to see the next generation achieve wildly more greater things than we have ever seen in our own lives. Lord, it's not about our names being written in the history books. Lord, it's about you being famous all over the world and you truly being recognized, honored, loved, worshipped, and adored as the Savior of the world. So I pray all of this in your wonderful name. Amen.